Welcome to Deeper Levels, the podcast about pathology, medicine, and science mostly. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome two special guests, Edna Garcia and Dr. Alexandra Brown. Both of my guests are affiliated with the American Society for Clinical Pathology, Ms. Garcia at the Institute for Science, Technology, and Public Policy, and Dr. Brown is the Chief Officer of Medical Quality. We are here today in part to discuss a recent publication of which Ms. Garcia was the first author titled, The American Society for Clinical Pathology's Job Satisfaction, Well-Being, and Burnout Survey of Pathologists. Though this article was written in a time which precedes the current pandemic, its themes are so relevant today. Today, I'd like to talk about or talk to both of my guests, not only about the findings of the research, but also possible implications of the current crisis as it relates to physician burnout. How are you two doing today? Doing great. How are you? Great. I'm good. Just another day in this uh, new reality we're living in. So yes, I don't know. I I think I'm kind of getting used to it, which is both reassuring and scary. So I don't know. I, that is what it is. Well, um, the joke is pathologists have been socially isolating for a while, which I resent, I was, but you know, to some extent, maybe. <laughs> well, that's kind of the stereotype. I was talking to my friend who's a pulmonologist, and I said that joke that was going around about how the CDC is using us as social mm. distancing models. And I was like, I'm not sure that's fair anymore, but it probably was like uh, 50 years ago. But anyway, it, it was very funny, and I took the joke well. So, um, Ms. Garcia, can you please tell us about yourself, your training, and how you came to work where you do? Absolutely. Thank you for having me um, at your podcast. And uh, my name is Edna Garcia. I am the Director of Scientific Engagement and Research for the ASCP's Institute for Science, Technology, and Policy. My background is in microbiology, which I studied as an undergrad at the University of California in Davis. And after graduation, I worked at the University of California San Francisco's Cancer Center as a research associate in their radiation oncology department. And it was there that I started thinking about public health, which took me to the East Coast um, when I decided to get my master's degree in public health at Drexel University. And my concentration there was in epidemiology and biostatistics. And I like the East Coast so much that I ended up staying. And that's how I ended up working for ASCP. And I have been with the organization for 10 years. Oh, wow. 10 years. That's great. <laughs> Dr. Brown, what about you? I am a pathologist. I'm originally from New Orleans. I went to medical school at LSU in Shreveport, Louisiana, and then did my pathology uh, combined APCP residency at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. That's in Jackson, Mississippi, which is where I live. Mm -hmm. uh, I did two fellowships. I did um, surgical pathology at MD Anderson, and then I was the Susan G. Komen Interdis Interdisciplinary Breast Cancer Fellow at MD Anderson. And when I was done with that, I came back to the University of Mississippi. I'd always sort of dreamed of being an academic pathologist. My dad was an academic orthodontist. I grew up um, watching him at the dental school, teaching the dental students and his orthodontics, orthodontics residents. And so I kind of emulated that. So I came back to what I had built up in my mind is a hu my huge dream job of academia and my underserved population, et cetera. Um, did that for about five years. Um, became, I would say, burnt out. So I have uh, some personal stake in that. Um, and oh, then, we'll dig into that. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, had an opportunity. Uh, I became very interested in things like lean and other types of performance improvement during that time and had an opportunity to go in uh, on a, a local consulting job with a, a breast surgeon that I had worked with a lot um, in my practice. Um, and from that evolved into doing more work with data analytics and performance improvement with some private firms. And uh, a couple of years later had this opportunity um, to work at ASCP where I had long been a volunteer since I was, since very early in my residency. Um, mm -hmm. had a lot, just consider it to be like a second family. And um, they were developing a position to help develop their um, data registry and reached out to me because of the expertise I'd had in kind of around that area. And I've been at ASCP since then. Um, and my role has evolved into more uh, broadly uh, around quality uh, in the laboratory uh, beyond just the registry. So we're developing our quality institute. And I'm, I'm very... Um, 
grateful to ASCP. Uh, it's a fantastic team. Just having seen it from the the member side, the volunteer side for a long time, shifting to the staff side has been amazing. Uh, it's a great organization, as I always kind of knew they were um, from the outside, but on the inside as well. And are you still in Mississippi? Or? I do. I work I work remotely, so I live in Jackson, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. I won't even sing the song at you. Everyone does that. I'm sure every single person you talk you can to. Sing it. That's um, not good. <laughs> I won't subject anyone to that. Although it is such a great sing along song. Um, Ms. Garcia, I'd like to start by talking about your article on physician job satisfaction, well-being, and burnout. Um, And I will disclose uh, for friends of mine who are listening, I have been deeply interested in the subject of burnout. I myself was in private practice for several years. It sounds a little bit like what you went through, Dr. Brown, and I was working very hard, um, very long, and I think I got very burned out. And so I started almost like a self-introspection and I read about burnout all the time. And when I saw this article come out, I was so excited to talk to you. Um, What was the reason that this study was initiated? Yes. So I have been involved in our workforce initiatives for the past 10 years and managed its activities for the past six. And Mm -hmm. the team have been engaged in many research activities related to the lab workforce. Um, Actually, two of our biggest surveys um, that we conduct are the wage and vacancy surveys for the medical lab professionals. And we have been conducting the survey for 31 years. And since we are located here in the Washington, D.C. office, we have the luxury to attend um, various meetings, um, specifically workforce-related meetings at the Hill or the ones held by the National Academies or Health Affairs, for example. And while attending these meetings, the main topic that's being covered um, under workforce is the well-being of physicians. And from these meetings, we learned that there have been plenty of research being done on physicians and nurses' well-being, including their burnout. But there are no standalone studies being discussed on the lab personnel, mm-hmm. pathologists, pathology residents, and lab professionals, which is a very important part of the health team. So we ask ourselves, how come there are not a lot of data or discussions around this group? And so we did our uh, literature search to see if there are or how many there are published um, papers on wellness or burnout in our field, and we didn't really find a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. Colleges data were included most of the time under the physician report on wellness. And there's one data point on pathologists, like for example, 35% 35% of pathologists reported that they were burned out, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. For um, lab professionals, the same same deal. Um, the oldest paper we found was from the 80s, and there's not really a lot of current papers for that group, and we didn't really see one for pathology residents. And so that's how it all started. We drafted a research proposal that was reviewed by our chief officer, Jeff Jacobs, and We sent it to our Commission on Science, Technology, and Public Policy for approval. And once we got that approval, we got into developing the the study. I that is so amazing. I I was wanting to do a like a survey somewhat like what you did, and it sounds like you have so many people around you helping you. That's so lovely. That's I just I wish I could have been there and known all these little committees you're talking about. It's amazing. So um, when I looked into burnout, it seems like a a very important component of it is the survey that you use and how you word the questions. And um, there's good data on burnout. But if you look into the studies in different fields, it seems like sometimes people use longer versions and shorter versions. Um, Can you tell me how you designed your survey? Um, Also, how did you get it out to physicians to answer these questions? And then can you tell us what snowball sampling is? Because I love that name. (laughs) Sure. And so (laughs) this study is one of the few and the largest of this type conducted on pathologists and something Uh we've never really done before, um, especially here at ASCP. And so we wanted this to be an exploratory type of study to create a baseline data for, for pathologists. And from our findings, our goal is to perform future in-depth analyses because we really didn't know 
what we're going to find, what results we're going to get, because this is so new for us. Mm -hmm. And so our study used a cross-sectional survey design, and we developed our questionnaire from a review of peer-reviewed literature on research studies exploring job satisfaction, well-being, and burnout among medical professionals, as well as existing questionnaires. And our survey targeted a wide array of indicators and measures on job satisfaction, job stress, burnout, and mental and emotional well-being. Um, so to tailor these questionnaires, these questions, to the field of pathology and lab medicine, we also put together, in addition to our lit searches and looking at previous questionnaires, we also put together a steering committee of pathologists, pathology residents, and lab professionals currently working in the field to review the questionnaire and suggest or add questions that they think would be relevant to the study. Uh -huh. the, way, uh -huh. the way we disseminated this survey, we sent out email invitations um, to complete the survey online. We sent it to pathologists from the ASCP membership database, and we also asked the recipients of the email to use snowball sampling. Um, snowball sampling is a commonly used method of sampling where prospective participants are invited are asked to invite, to ask or refer others to participate. And in our case, we ask prospective participants to share the survey link with their colleagues and to others who might be interested in participating. And the goal in doing this is to get a high number of participants to help make sure mm -hmm. that our respondents were representative of pathologists in general. And was there an incentive for snowballing? Was it like a gift card or sometimes people use like, you know, incentive reward kind of things? Or was it just... No, we, we, don't, normally, we don't normally use incentives because okay. with our other surveys, we we receive um, a lot of uh, res responses anyway. Oh, great. That's great. Um, and I, well, I think also, I, I wonder if the response rate among scientists is higher because whenever I get a survey, I always try to take it because I know the person on the other end is usually trying to do something good. You know? survey so I try empathy, to go out of yeah. it. Yeah, it is. It's empathy. You're exactly right. So um, can you tell everyone how burnout is defined for those who are not as um, into it as I am? So for burnout has been defined and measured in a variety of ways in research studies and other literature. Um, but for this survey, burnout was defined as feeling overwhelmed, feeling emotionally exhausted, not caring about work, and feeling a low sense of value or accomplishment. And this definition um, was derived from established burnout instruments used to develop the survey. And um, the intent of this survey was to explore self-reports of burnout among pathologists, including its prevalence. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what were the primary findings of your study and what was the most surprising thing that you found? So there are three findings that I thought were surprising or in interesting after analyzing and writing this report. And the first one is that we found that job satisfaction is high and well-being is rated fair to good by most of the pathologists who responded to the survey. But the feelings of anxiety or worry about work, high levels of stress and burnout are also prevalent among this group. And this to me is, is very surprising um, because we found that pathologists do enjoy their, their work and the majority of them indicated that making a positive difference and improving the quality of diagnostic testing for patients to be the most rewarding experience for them, but they are overwhelmed by the amount of workload that they receive, um, understaffing, and also the additional responsibilities in their jobs. So that to me was very surprising and very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Brown, uh, since you are a, a fellow pathologist and you commented on, on having experienced burnout, I'll bring you into this conversation here. I can say as a pathologist, I, the part to me that was not surprising was that work-life balance and um, the main contributing factor to job stress was the quantity of work. I still have, I mean, there's a certain feeling, and I know every clinician probably feels this, but pathologists of that, that feeling of having more work than one person could possibly do in a sitting or in the amount of time that you feel like you have to do it is the most disheartening thing that I think I have felt in my job. Do you, was that surprising to you from this study? 
Uh, for me, that wasn't so much uh, the issue. Um, for me, the issue was in large part being under-resourced. So yeah, okay. I mean, having a high workload, but then mm -hmm. consistently the department having um, funding and resources cut because the work still comes out, which I think it, it, it sort of rings the same tune, right? As long as right. the information comes out of the black box, we're right. not, you know, we don't have a clinic where patients are going to complain that they're not being roomed uh, quickly or where there's trash right. on the floor. As long as the work gets done, we don't, you know, maybe the hospital isn't so concerned about uh, why that happens or if we're stressed out, et cetera. So I, yeah. actually, I think that initially I was thinking it was different, but I think when you, when it boils down to it, uh, yeah. very, very similar. Yeah. Just sort of yeah. uh, being out of control of your situation. Um, right. I love being a pathologist. I mean, I love it. My husband's a pathologist. We're like a pathologist. We're homozygous in this household. So, I mean. Wow. That's I, a unique system. Yeah. I mean, I've heard, I know a lot of physician couples, but not a lot of double pathologists. Oh my gosh. It's crazy, yeah. right? My poor children. But, um, and I love to teach and all those things. They're going to be so analytical. It's going to be great. So far, they're not at all. But anyway. Okay. Yeah. They think everything's gross. But, um, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, like Edna was saying, the, the actual being a pathologist part is awesome. It's the coolest. I mean, I, I love it. I could just talk about it all day, but yeah. then the, kind of the reality of, of, of how it is when you're expected to carry it out, maybe in less than ideal circumstances day after day, and just being around people who are disheartened by their job to where you start to not love it, actually something that you loved so much. It's really hard. Yeah, it is really hard. And, and, uh, you know, I've worked a lot of places in my life. I'm not singling one place out. I think every place goes through rough patches. But um, having worked with people from different age ranges, you always hear these people saying things like, well, back in my day, it wasn't like this. And I don't know how much of that to believe and how much of it is just sort of nostalgia. But I do know that um, that feeling of not being able to accomplish what you want is after a while, it just sort of grates on you, you know? So I, I, I guess that part to me, when I saw that quantity of workload, I, I was standing at my kitchen island reading it and I was like, yes, you know, like <laughs> I, get, I get it. So, um, uh, Ms. Garcia, in your article, you also note that, quote, changes in the U.S. healthcare system have resulted in physician burnout, close quote. Can you expound upon that? What changes did you mean? So we, we, we just wanted to um, touch on the passage of health reform legislation, as well as the aging population, which um, we learned from our other studies also mm -hmm. increased the number of tests and contributes okay. to more work for pathologists as well as lab professionals. And that's what I meant with that. But um, one of the, the papers that I also read when I was um, putting together uh, the, the intro for, for this report is um, they said that with the passage of health reform legislation, there's been an increased focus on patient-centered care and value of the patient experience, which led expectation that caregivers and in our case pathologists be positive positively engaged in their work and able to do their jobs efficiently and effectively in a supportive environment and in some ways um, from that from that literature I think that also contributes to stress and burnout for for clinicians for clinicians but um, in a sort of a different sense for pathologists maybe just slightly yeah um, you also note that more than half of pathologists indicate that they do not feel appreciated by their institution. Was this surprising to you? Um, do you think there are ways to change that for the better? Um, I've heard some some anecdotal um, comments about um, pathologists not feeling appreciated by their institution, but collecting the data, I, I feel... Um, proves that this is something that actually happens. Um, mm -hmm. Pathologists, um, to me, it was very enlightening and also very important data point as we move forward to answering the question of what can we do to help address this issue. And um, I do think, and I hope that this can change for the better because as we mentioned earlier, 91% of our respondents indicate that they they enjoy their work as a pathologist, even though many of them don't feel appreciated by their institutions. And part of the goal of this report is to highlight this topic 
and encourage conversation between pathologists and their C-suite colleagues so that they can have open discussions on how to address pathologists' concerns and needs when it comes to their well-being. And one, one example that we suggested in the paper was to talk about creating targeted interventions to address stress and burnout for pathologists. If I mm-hmm. could add to that, one thing about being underappreciated, you know, I always felt very much appreciated by my clinical colleagues. I went into business with one of them when we started, you know, doing our um, our consulting focus on performance improvement and quality. But, uh, you know, I, I, I would love when cases came that said, you know, attention, Dr. Brown, you know, that they want me to look at it or someone would call. I mean, I always felt very uh, trusted and valued by my physician colleagues and by medical students and residents that I was teaching. But uh, I think Edna hit the nail on the head when she talked about communication with the C-suite. And I don't think it's necessarily the C-suite's fault or the uh, leadership of the department's fault. I think it's a combination that pathologists more and more really have to have a seat at the table because uh, I think they appreciate you, but it can feel a lot like they don't uh, when you're not being represented. I mean, you can believe that there are other uh, physicians that are sitting at the table and making a lot of noise for things that are needed. And if uh, pathology doesn't have strong representation, you're, you're not going to get it, frankly. I mean, they're not going to say just out of the blue, you know, your, your budget allocation is going to be this and that. So really having strong vocal leadership um, stressing the importance of pathology where it counts in high up conversations and things like that. When I see pathologists that are very frustrated, it tends to be in areas where they don't have this. And really mm-hmm. in departments and organizations where pathology plays a more prominent role in the leadership structure, to me is where you see more innovative and, and, and rewarding uh, uh, jobs, frankly. I totally agree with that. And I wonder, this is a question I didn't, um, I didn't put in, in the outline I sent, but um, I wonder how much, and I, I tried reading about this when I was um, experiencing burnout myself. How much do you think, or do you think physician autonomy plays a role in this? Because I know this is anecdotal, but it seems like the the model of pathology practices has changed. And I know you were in academics, Dr. Brown, so it was probably, and I am too, but it's, it's a little different for us. But it seems like the private practice model isn't as prevalent as it used to be. And I wonder how much of physician satisfaction has to do with who's in charge of the group. Does that make sense? Is it, it a pathologist? Yeah, absolutely. You know? And I have some experience in private practice too. I do like part-time mm-hmm. work in private groups currently just because mm-hmm. I didn't want us to stop being pathologists altogether. And and it is different, but what you're saying is absolutely right. It is very similar in that uh, it depends on the, the leadership and the relationships. Shocker, mm-hmm. right? The relationships yeah. you have with hospital leadership. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and who's pulling the strings and mm-hmm. like you said, who's at the table. And I think as physicians and pathologists get busier and busier, they have less time to do things like leadership and, you know, sort of not reimbursable stuff. Right. So it's, it's sort of a vicious cycle. And a lot of people yeah. just frankly aren't into that and not everyone has to be. But I think mm-hmm. making a conscious effort to have folks uh, that are interested in that and are good at it is really important. Mm-hmm. It's just as important as having someone that can sign out the most cases in a day um, yes, I, at the end I, of the day. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. Um, Ms. Garcia, um, in your study, men reported feeling stressed less frequently than women at a level of statistical significance. Did you expect this going in or was that surprising to you? That was very surprising to me because when we looked at the differences by um, age Um, length of time being a pathologist and looked at that um, based on their job satisfaction, stress, burnout, well-being. Um, This is the only one that had a uh, significant difference. And um, this is also something that we think warrants further examination um, and something that we would like to tackle more um, for further, further research. Because now we know that there is a difference. We want to know more as to why. And mm-hmm. we're going to see the factors that, that affect um, women. Why are they more stressed out compared to men? That 
I I would love to read that study when you when you do it. It sounds like you have a great group behind you to help you design something like that. So I will be interested to hear that um, information. Um, one idea from your discussion that I think could offer a possible roadmap forward is that you could look at groups within your study who have a high satisfaction rate and figure out what they have in common. Yes, and then try to replicate the success and try to give us all information about what those people, what those groups, what those people have in common and what we can do going forward. Um, and to pivot to the current times we're experiencing, which I completely realize is not the, was not the focus of this study. I can't help but wonder how practicing medicine and for that matter, being alive during this stressful time will affect physician burnout. I know pathologists are not considered quote unquote frontline healthcare workers, but we are you know, implementing testing. We are doing, I would think, probably um, additional tasks compared to what we were doing, say, six months ago. So I think that will be very interesting. Um, I think that Dr. that's Brown, so, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I think that that's a great idea. There was actually a, a paper I read um, from the University of ne Nebraska group, um, and they talked about vitality, um, saying that, you know, why don't we, instead of highlighting burnout, why don't we also highlight um, this, the, the, six, the good parts, like, you know, who are the most satisfied and, and look, look into that as well in addition mm -hmm. to looking at the burnout so we can have a complete picture of yeah. what we are studying. Uh -huh. So that's, that's yeah, a good and I idea. I think some people call it resilience as well. Grit. Like, um, mm -hmm. grit, yeah, like, and, and to me, I think that's important and I think it's important to figure out who is sort of, you know, like who is the tree standing up in the wind. But then also I think sometimes when the focus is too much on resilience, it puts the onus on physicians mm -hmm. to sort of just like stand up in the face of a storm ra rather than maybe making it a mix of that plus systems, like changing systems so that the stuff coming at them isn't something that would make most people burned out. I don't know if that makes sense. I think it has to be a combination of both. It makes sense but, to me. I yeah. I think yeah. that uh, it's a whole podcast for you in itself, you know, this yeah. Yeah. BS that grit is the the opposite of burnout. It's not. That's actually not yeah. true. I mean, I was burned yeah. out and I'm one of the grittiest people I know. So um, yeah. I don't think that um, uh, pivoting, as you said before, um, in your yeah. job role is a sign of not having grit or resilience. And in fact, I think the opposite, it takes a tremendous amount of bravery. Yeah. And, and I think everyone is different. Mm -hmm. I have friends, I was just talking to a couple of friends of mine who work 14, 13 hours a day, doesn't bother them at all. You know, they're just, they're like, Oh, I've been doing that for 10, 12 years. And I, you know, it's, everyone's different and everyone has different sort of thresholds. But I think, like I said, to solve this problem and going forward, we're going to have to solve it. It has to be a combination of those two things. So, um, so Dr. Brown, um, you joined the conversation today as, as sort of a, a, a quality expert. And I didn't realize when you joined it that you were also someone who suffered burnout. So it's perfect. But um, how are you noting the effect of sort of the focus of this study, burnout, all this stuff, with all the pathologists you've known, what are you hearing and how are you seeing the effects of this on, on pathologists? I definitely see a lot of themes. You might be on like the pathologist moms group on Facebook and things like that. I actually can't because oh. a friend of mine told me it sort of devolved into a COVID discussion and I think I would just <laughs> go into some sort of wormhole and I would I mean, not be able to come not, not terribly, but, uh, yeah, yeah. but just I for did. example from that and from yeah. friends that I trained with, you know, whether it was in residency or fellowship mm -hmm. or just the amazing number of people I've gotten to know throughout the years, both volunteering and now working for ASCP, you see a lot of themes, right? And mm -hmm. I'm sure you probably see the same thing with folks that you know in the in the business, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, the, this kind of loss of control where you just kind of lose the joy in work because you're, you have no control over, you know, as pathologists, we have you know, a lack of control over some things. You can't say, oh, I'm only available for, well, maybe you can, maybe some people can. I'm only available for frozen sections at this time, or please don't yeah. have the urologist operate the same day as the head and neck surgeon as the same guy day as the guy that does all the whipples. I mean, you, you kind of just right. have to go with the flow, right? So already right. baseline, 
we have um, a certain amount of loss of control, right? As opposed to- we are, We're a downstream service. That's exactly. the way I try to explain it to people. I mean, like if they decide to do 4,000 biopsies in one day, we can't just say like, I'm no. only going to look at the first thousand. You have to just right. look at all 4,000. We can cancel all our scopes on Friday so we can play golf. That just doesn't happen. Exactly. So, no, it doesn't happen. <laughs> so there's already this loss of control. So I think that when on top of that, you have a loss of control either by being under-resourced and whether under-resourced means- um, uh, just not having administrative, that you're doing a lot of administrative type work and spinning your wheels all day, or that you have an overload of, of cases, maybe because reimbursement's gone down and now they expect you to sign out twice as much as they did mm-hmm. five years ago. Um, that's a loss of control also. So I see a lot of kind of, and we're humans, right? So loss of control, it's like why people don't like to fly on an airplane because you're not driving it, even though it's safer than when you drive your car. So I think a and lot of it burns that. down to that. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it burns down to loss of control. And then a mm-hmm. loss of joy at work was mm-hmm. something that was really um, strong for me and something that I see in a lot of people. They used to love it or just medicine in general. And now they just, they just want to get out of it. Oh, how did you get out of it? How did you get into what you're doing? And I'm like, well, ideally I'd love to still be doing pathology. You know, mm-hmm. I always get kind of paranoid that people think I'm doing this job now because I'm a you know crappy pathologist. That's not the case. I love pathology. It's just, <laughs> you know, I, this is just kind of the way things had evolved, which I would never um, see. So I, I see people just wanting more control and just losing the joy in what they did before. And I think those are big parts of, of, of burnout from what we've, the research we've done. We have a course coming up um, that we're working on that looks at different aspects of burnout and preventing it and what causes it, et cetera. And I was like, yes, yes. The whole time I was going, yes, yes, Isn't it? yes. I mean, like I said, I'm reading this article in my kitchen eating lunch, standing up at the counter and just being like, yeah, mm-hmm. looking at charts. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm sure there was no one around. So it was no one to think I was crazy, but it's fine. But um, I really, yeah, it's, it's like preaching to the choir, but it's nice to have, you know, hard numbers so you can not just feel like you're always right. going into the void. And the yeah. good news is, you know, people love being, still love being a pathologist. We like having the answers, mm-hmm. right? We like working with teams. Mm-hmm. We like, mm-hmm. Um, teaching. teaching. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the good news, yeah. you know, and we still have that. I hate when people tell yeah. people not to go to medical school or not to do pathology. I hate that. That's like a huge pet peeve of mine. This is the, one of the best things I've ever done, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the good news. And with the, with the whole COVID thing, I also tend to want to see a silver lining out of it that out of, out of crisis, it either brings out the best or the worst in people, right? So I think that finding a meaning and a purpose to all work together maybe will even help with this, I hope. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, yeah. it's hard. Yeah. So what do you think um, from the study that um, we can learn about physician satisfaction, well-being, and burnout that might help us right now? I know you said maybe we can all end up working together, but do you think there's any other you know, take-home points for the... I don't even know what to call this time. I feel like everything's become cliched now, but this pandemic. <laughs> yeah, just the, a lot of it is the kind of the, like I mentioned before, the meaning in work and the mm-hmm. the loss of control. You know, we received lots of comments, which Edna is better to speak to than I. Um, mm-hmm. The comments were almost more moving than, you know, the, the sort of finite, uh, answers in the survey. And mm-hmm. a lot of them, like you said, you know, just rang true. And I was like, gosh, I know how these people feel. It's such a, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Edna, do you want to speak to some of those comments you've received? That sounds very interesting. Um, I'm gonna... or can you share them or like in a general I think sense? It was, it was on the report. It's just escaping my, my mind right now. Was it mostly just people saying, yes, thank you so much for doing this survey. I've been feeling this way and it's nice to basically put it down on paper. I mean, yes. I and, was... and a lot of them, we, we've also asked them um, uh, the question of what can ASCP do to help? And they, they said um, to create more, like the the course that me, Ali, and Loti are, are creating more of those, more resources to address stress and burnout for, for pathologists, as well as lab professionals and pathology residents. So we're starting with the, with the burnout course and um, I see what the, um, what the members think of that, uh, the field thinks of that and, and keep doing more research, um, keep creating more educational tools um, now and then later on hopefully do something something more 
Yeah. And Dr. Brown, I think given your background, it would be interesting to maybe down the road do a sort of self-advocacy module for pathologists. <laughs> teach, teach us how to stick up for ourselves, teach us how to go to that C-suite and, and sort of have hard numbers on our worth and why we're... Yeah, you got to have data know. to back it. And, exactly. and you have to be your own commercial. You have to be your own salesman. There's nothing wrong and with that. We're not good at that as physicians. I, don't, I mean, it's not like they sit you down in medical school and right. say, you know, this is what's going to happen. Um, uh, given your background, Dr. Brown, in performance and improvement and quality, I wonder what your thoughts are regarding the suspension of elective surgeries, which pathologists are sort of being affected by, like I said, we're downstream. Anecdotally, I'm noticing amongst friends and colleagues and people I've interviewed for the podcast that the specimen volumes have gone down, yeah. but in a way that, um, you know, that reimbursement model you were talking about, the the smaller sort of... Um, outpatient type specimens are going away and the ones that are staying are the sickest patients, the oncology patients. So nines, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, some healthcare systems have resorted to furloughing and furloughing employees. I've heard some people are, um, I don't know if that's exactly the same thing as basically like having forced unpaid vacation days. It might be the same thing. Um uh, do you think I'm on the right track? Do you think I'm just taking anecdotes and sort of extrapolating it where I shouldn't? Or I mean, that's certainly you... what I'm hearing. You know, or people are okay. being encouraged to take vacation. Um, mm -hmm. I tend to be more optimistic about this. There was, you know, when I was at MD Anderson for those few years, it was really busy. And so every mm -hmm. now and then, and you probably, are, I mean, you have been in very busy places too. I, of course, stalked you online to see who you were, but like... <laughs> You'll have like a day where it's like, yeah, whoa, like it's kind of slow <laughs> yes. today. And what they I won't say where, but there was one place was I worked where I would hear this constipation this diarrhea comes. So I think the diarrhea is definitely for coming. Me and just so the sound I think of the like made me almost cry. You know, my husband's a GI pathologist, so it's, it hits home with him. He's only working yeah. one day a week. So his partners, they're, they're alternating because the volume is so low. They have a lot of, yeah. you know, he does a lot of GI biopsy. Right, um, right, of course. But guess what? All those people are still waiting to have their colonoscopy. And uh, I do some locums for um, a group in New Orleans at uh, Oxford mm -hmm. Medical Center. And, um, you know, they're expecting productivity to be way over 100% in the coming months. So I see this as a temporary dip, but people are still going to need all these procedures. You know, people are waiting to get their gallbladders out, even the most you know, mundane of specimens and their hernias operated on. I so agree. I feel like if yeah, you just so wait it out, it's coming. And then we're going to what, be working weekends or? <laughs> that, then we're going to be like, the opposite problem, right? <laughs> we're going to be so burned out. I'm just kidding. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I try to look at, I try to look at it as like today, like I could say, oh my gosh, how are we going to pay the mortgage when you work one day a week? You know, cause he's right, right. what you kill kind of a thing, you know, exactly. um, those of us yeah. who are salaried, it's kind of helpful. And I'm glad that yeah. we're a two physician household, but some people really, you know, are hurt right now. And it's hard yeah, and, to say wait, but it's it's going to uh -huh. come. I mean, yeah, and and they've been. I even read one article that, that I'm referencing in the show notes about um, layoffs and mm -hmm. how they're laying off nurses in some healthcare systems. Yeah. Which to me, it's like you know, there's a nursing shortage. Right, it's crazy. And put them in a different place, like for right now, or they needed somewhere. But that's you they're know, not laying off histotechs. I'm sure anywhere there's always a shortage of everywhere. A shortage uh, of histotechs. True. Maybe this will be a time when the histology labs are fully staffed. <laughs> they can catch up on their backlog. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so uh, this question can be for both of you. What resources are available to those who may be finding themselves experiencing the symptoms of burnout? I know you all were talking about doing this course mm -hmm. um, when you were sort of reading the research and. And things. What what is recommend not just for pathologists, but for physicians feeling burned out? I don't know if Edna, you want to. Me, uh, our colleague Loti Mulder, who is in our um, our is she in our education department? Ali, she's everywhere. <laughs> she's everywhere. But she uh, on paper she listed some resources that um, people can access. Um, we also have, she also mentioned a book club and actually, um, who was it? A pathologist emailed me this week, um, mm -hmm. paper and asked about the book club. And I found out from low T that, um, they talk about, <clears throat> I believe they talk about stress and coping or literature related to that. And that happens quarterly. So that's one of the, um, resources that she mentioned here on the paper as well. Um, but 
there's also the Leadership Institute um, a site uh, that people can access and learn more about um, coping techniques. I think the more we know about this topic or these topics, the more we add into the, the resource um, section of our, actually we're, we're developing a site within the ASCP website, just dedicated to pathologists or pathology and lab medicine, um, stress and burnout. Um, that would include literature, um, information on coping mechanisms and, and courses. So stay tuned on that. Yeah. And, oh, you know, everybody's hospital and things like that have like these uh, employee assistance programs. So that's usually the first thing that's touted. I never utilized that um, when I was going through my issues. Maybe some people have and hopefully it's good. Of course, having a peer network is really good as long as it turns it doesn't turn into like a doom and gloom fest, which is easy to do. <laughs> right. It's really yeah, easy. too much navel gazing. Yeah, you gotta <laughs> exactly. look up, look out. Yeah. Um, having yeah. a group of friends and having a social network is so important. And having other interests, like when I was at the height of my burnout, I started going to the gym a lot more, mm. which people who don't have any time wouldn't be able to do it. And then when I left my job and started doing like people who aren't physician jobs, I'm like, wait, people like just stop working like at five o'clock. Then I just started yeah. teaching group fitness. You know, I was like, well, this makes me happy. I'm gonna start doing what makes me happy. I want to do that for other people, pursuing other interests so that perhaps if you yeah. feel like you have less meaning in the workplace maybe yes. you can get past it. You need to have a job, let's face it. So if you can find meaning in other aspects of your life, it's almost like last resort. You want to have the meaning in your job, but really trying to focus, you almost have to rewire your brain to focus on things that are going on that are positive. Because if you're like me, I mean, when I was at the height of my burnout, I was so, I was almost mourning for the loss of the things I loved about my job. And I would come home and I had these two small children. I had a fantastic adorable husband i had all health and one all these wonderful things and i i i was so sad still yeah, um, yeah. well focusing yeah, on like, that, it's just hard yeah and it, it just sort of and if you are at that place where i'm sure a lot of people are where your job is so time consuming mm -hmm. it's hard to break away and find those other interests i know i was in a similar situation when i was pretty burned out with little kids and working a lot and it just you start to feel like you're spinning your wheels yes. almost like you can't get out of it. So um, yeah, that's good. That And the, the friend network thing is I have found, I had this expectation of always thinking I needed to be calling everyone, but now I have several text chains and I don't know if you do this during the day. It's so nice to be able to just text your couple friends and then, you know, go away and do your job for a while and come back to your phone and mm -hmm. there's 10 responses. And it, to me, that just, it's a little thing, but it feels so good. Look, so. That's what it's all about. I wish there exactly. was like a magic pill and maybe like Lexapro or something mm -hmm. is, but like something that just yeah. says, if this makes burnout go away, but we're never going to have right. anything like that. So you have to find no. those things that are meaningful to you, frankly. I mean, it's not the answer that maybe people want to hear or I come on here and say, well, Edna did this fantastic research and we've decided that the cure is this. We're never going to have that, yeah. right? A shot or something. Right. Yeah. So we just have so, to give people lots of resources that they can kind of pick and choose from. Pick and choose, yeah. yeah. And what's your, what is your fitness class? What do you teach? <laughs> I teach, um, I don't teach cycling. I really don't like cycling, but I teach through like this uh, program called Les Mills. I don't know. It's, it's all oh, body pump, et cetera. I am yes. body pump certified, body attack certified. And I just um, am working on my certification for a core class through Les Mills called CX Works. And I That's look, if I could make money just doing this and pay the bills, I would do this. Like my, people show up, they're like super motivated. Everybody's happy. I start the class by saying for 55 minutes, you only have to think about yourself. Nothing else exists. I mean, this never happens at work, right? So, it's so are you doing that virtually now? Or uh, that well, we started a Facebook group since our gyms were closed, kind of trying to motivate people. And Les Mills has offered free on-demand classes for everybody. So you could log in okay. on-demand and get yeah. uh, free Les Mills classes. So kind right. of we're doing yeah. it virtually, I guess. I will say one of the most motivating things about those classes is all the super fit people around me <laughs> and how motivating it is to like not give up even when I'm like tired of, you know, because I, I do work out, but mostly by myself. So it's just a whole different ballgame. The group fitness vibe is a big deal. It really is. Big and um, yeah. a lot of the things, point. like one thing I like about Les Mills, not to take over your podcast with uh, no, fitness stuff, please. but I think 
I think that there are numerous studies that I can't cite, you know, chapter and verse, but that physical activity of some kind is so important for mental health, especially during this pandemic time. I force myself to be physically active every day, even when I drag myself. Absolutely. But Les Mills provides all this education for instructors on how to, how to motivate people. And you can use the same tactics to motivate your husband to fix the door. You know I mean? It's like, people don't realize it's like, they're basically, principles right so I, yeah. I learned so much stuff through this kind of high quality group fitness instruction I'm like I wish people had given me a class like this about like my jobby job you know so that's part of what we're trying to do at ASCP kind of with the whole leadership institute just to give it another shout out with low T Mulder yeah. I mean these soft skills aren't soft you know there are a lot of things that people need to learn that will make your day better that isn't just how to grade your ethelial you know neoplasms you know in the year 2000 you know 2020 you know i mean yeah it's it's part of the job but i think yeah you're saying basically like having some motivational leadership skills advocacy skills i and that you know it's it's a hard part of our job um that you can't really, you can't really teach, but then again, it, I don't even feel like in medicine, we go through the motions right. of teaching it a lot of the time. So right. I think it's, a, it's sort of a big gap. So, um, I, I did want to, uh, move to a question of asking you all about burnout. I feel like, um, Dr. Brown, you and I have talked about it. And, uh, um, I know you've been through several schooling. You said you were, um, in a master's program. Did you ever feel burned out and, and how did you deal with it? Uh, yes, at different points in my life and also sometimes at work right now. Um, but I, I think one of the things that I personally do is once I leave the office, I leave the work there. And it, that's beautiful. It's yes. interesting because I, I have, I, I think I have the opportunity to do that. And I know that with, with other people, they can't really do that. Sometimes they, because I a friend who was a, a doctor as well, and she would always get calls in, you know, in the evening as well. Um, mm-hmm. I have that opportunity to leave my work at work. And uh, actually, there are some of the respondents in, in this in this survey, some pathologists said that that's part of what keeps them going, um, that is their burnout, that leaving work at work. And so for mm-hmm. that, that helps a lot. Yeah, that's a good answer. Although one thing that I I know that I've seen, you know, opinion pieces about this, we obviously don't have data. So many people are working from home now, you know, I feel like this and everyone's kids are at home that I feel like it's all sort of become one big, like melting pot of work, kids right. and home. It's all together now. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see energy because I always leave the work energy in the office, but yeah. now they're all in my apartment. <laughs> I'm having a hard time kind of putting them together. <laughs> I agree. I think it's going to be interesting because, I mean, people are talking about when are we going to go, quote unquote, back to normal. And it doesn't sound like we're going to be at anything that we would recognize as normal from, you know, a year ago, anytime soon. So I think the impact that has on, you know, burnout and, and mental well-being will be very interesting, to, not just on physicians, but on just everyone. So mm-hmm. um is there anything else that either one of you would like to tell our listeners about the findings of our studies or anything that I've forgotten? And you can just jump in, whoever wants to go first. Um, we, co- we covered it all? I think we covered it all. Um, I think just, uh, just from this data, at least on our end, we can start talking about, you know, now we already know what the problem is. The, the next question is, what are we going to do to mm-hmm. these problems? Yeah, that'll be for that part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's got a bunch of steps to it. And it sounds like you all are both on top of it. So I want to thank you both so much for coming. Usually at the end of the show, I, I indulge in a little pathology humor where I offer a quote unquote final diagnosis. Although my friend and I, the other night when we were recording, decided that I should have a top line diagnosis and then a C comment, <laughs> which will probably be funnier for Dr. Brown than it will be for Ms. <laughs> right. But it's like, uh, you can, you can 
say a final diagnosis after I say mine if you want, or you can say that's silly. I don't want to. I won't have my feelings hurt. Um, but my my final diagnosis for today is that I think that medicine as a whole undervalues the mental health of its practitioners. Um, I'm thrilled that we're quantifying what is happening in pathology in our community because not just with pathologists, but with residents and and laboratory professionals. Because I really believe that until we find out what's happening, we're not going to have a path forward to make it better. So do you all want to weigh in with a final thought? I like your final diagnosis a lot. I, do too. I concur <laughs> with your final diagnosis. Me too. I've, re- I've reviewed your, I've reviewed the slides and concur with your diagnosis. <laughs> and I think there's My a lot favorite. of, there's a lot of yeah, silver lining here. You know, I think this is it. I, I like to look at opportunities because innovation really comes from even when you're in kind of the worst situations and finding some sort of positive opportunity and seizing it. So um, I think that we have an opportunity to uh, to change. I think that with this whole um, COVID-19 um, uh, pandemic, that the laboratory is really gaining more visibility than it has in a long time. And I think that it's very, it's imperative for us as a profession really to step out there at this point. We've been really trying to hammer that um, with, with ASCP, you know, going to our, you know, our, our experts and our resources and putting things out there, talking to the government, trying to get out to our membership. And so putting the meaning and the value back in the work to try to impart that knowledge to leadership, to help us to feel more valued and be more valued, better resourced and things like that. Because, you know, as they're seeing, it's hard to ramp up testing when you're working with a skeleton crew, right? So um, if you cut, 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 you can't cut your way to success, right? I'm using all these kind of buzzwords, but I, th- I think that my, my, uh, my final diagnosis is there's tremendous opportunity ahead. That's good. That's good. And I, I want to, and Ms. Garcia, I want to thank you for your study. Anyone who's listening and hasn't seen it yet, the, um, the article is very readable and there are so many wonderful graphics and, and what the data visualization, which is a buzzword I learned from my epidemiologist husband. It's beautiful. You can tell that you have epidemiology training. That's better than the pathologist husband. That's good. Oh, yeah. Although, like I was telling Ms. Garcia before we started recording, um, he likes to check my math. You know, anytime <laughs> I go to publish something, so it's like, I gotta have your, yeah, right, right. Dot, your, yeah, dot your eyes and whatever. So um, I, I encourage everyone to read it. And I want to thank you both so much for coming. And this has been Deeper Levels. And um, we'll talk to everyone soon. Thanks. Thank you so much for coming, both of you. Have a good night. Thanks, Alan. Good night. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bye.